good to be with you all again uh, this Sunday. Um, since I saw many of you last, I was uh, visiting a, a confirmation sponsor, um, actually Joe Labrandi, so a, a, a neighbor down the road. He grew up in Serona, um, out hiking in the mountains for a week. So it was beautiful, and it was a beautiful opportunity just to reflect and to be with the Lord in his creation, as we are often doing throughout these summer months. Gives us a chance to kind of step away from the normal day-to-day rhythm of things and reflect and to kind of be set aside for some time um, and to really take it as an opportunity for real leisure. And what I mean by leisure is not like standing around in a sedated coma, you know, sitting in a lazy boy recliner, right? You know, that's not what leisure is. Leisure is taking time to be recreated with God. If he created us once in our mother's womb, He continues to recreate us by his grace and by the gifts that he wants to give to us. So being attentive to the things around us gives us an opportunity to stop and reflect and to be able to be filled with gratitude for the gifts that he gives us day in and day out. And we might generally say, well, I'm, you know, kind of hashtag blessed, you know, like I'm just really good. My life is fine. You know, I, I tweet or, you know, get on Facebook and I show my pictures to my friends of my awesome vacation that I take. And that's the end of it, right? That's, that's kind of like the extent of being grateful. But it's more than that. And living with God is more than that. Simply just being aware of the things that are good is a good start. But being aware of God's presence with me is even more important. And I think that's what the gospel reflects today. The need to be aware of God's presence and to ask in prayer what we need from God. You know, we are all already in existence. We all already have gifts from God. We can make a list of the things that we're grateful for today, just for being here and being aware that God has put us into creation and put us into existence. But there's more than that. We're supposed to pray because prayer is an opportunity for us to express our gratitude to God, to ask good things from God who made us, also to to be uh, praising and adoring God for who he is, for the very wonder of his being and the the things that he's created, the way, uh, the marvelous mysteries of salvation, his life, death, and resurrection. We We can adore him for those things. But most importantly, and I think the thing that many of us miss is that prayer is about intimacy with God. What do I mean intimacy? Okay, it means friendliness, friendship with God, a relationship with God. And God doesn't need us to have a friendship with him, to be frank. He created us. He brought us into existence. But his friendship with us is part of what saves us, what sets us on the path of life. And so it's part of God's goodness and part of his mission of salvation for us that we pray. And oftentimes we we get upset with prayer. You know, we think along these lines. Well, I asked God for something. I started praying. And I prayed for X, and I didn't get X. Therefore, God doesn't answer prayers. Think about the flaw in that logic. We see Abraham's persistence in the first reading today. He's, He's praying to God. And God is imaged in Genesis like like he's a a human person, like he's sitting in a chair, sitting across from God, and he's saying, well, Lord, what if there was, you know, 45 people? Wouldn't you be merciful for the 45? And he keeps going again and again back to this petition that he has. And notice what happens. He becomes closer and closer with God. He starts out and says, 
I, although I'm just dust and ashes here, you know, you could knock me out of existence if you wanted to. He kind of steps back from God for a second, like, whoa, I'm, I'm kind of amazed at who you are. But he continues, and he persists, and he keeps asking. And what is it that happens in Abraham? God, in fact, doesn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. Spoiler alert. Um, he doesn't spare them. So Abraham is asking, and he says, if there were 45 righteous people, and God said, I'll do it if there's 45 righteous people there. And this is God who is not sort of like standing poised, ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. That's, that's not the image that's being portrayed here. We might have that idea based on this conversation, like Abraham's there, standing in front of Sodom and Gomorrah, and be like, oh God, don't crush us, you know, don't squish us. You know, no, it's, that's not who God is. We might have that image of God, but God is the God of creation. He's the God who took on our human flesh and went to the cross out of love for us, who prayed in his mercy, Lord, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is that the kind of God who stands looking at a city ready to crush it? No. This is the kind of God who, if anybody in that city said, forgive me, or have mercy, or change my heart. He would act on it like that. The kind of God who is quick and willing to forgive, to show mercy. But this tells us a fact about Sodom and Gomorrah. They were not willing even to ask for forgiveness. They were not willing to change. And so God says very truthfully to Abraham, if there were 30 If there were five righteous people there, I would spare Sodom and Gomorrah. But because of their sins, not because God is striking ready to hurt them, but because God is good and God doesn't want them to have something if it's actually going to hurt them. So even though the people of Sodom and Gomorrah could have been very well fine without God, they might have been happy. They were living a life that was in sin and was walking away from God but they might have been happy by their own estimation. They might have been, you know, have a, a large amount of pleasurable experiences. That might have been really great for Sodom and Gomorrah. But God knew that their experience of pleasure was not the most important thing in their life. And so he lets the city be destroyed for their good, for the sake of repentance, for the sake of turning. Now that seems odd to us. But it's not God's perfect plan. His perfect plan would be for conversion and for a willingness to change. But sometimes God uses things that aren't what we want for our benefit. So notice when we pray for X and we don't get X. Sometimes if we had the thing we were praying for, we would become a mercenary Christian. What do I mean by that? Somebody who's looking for a handout. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Come on, God, you're the big gumball machine in the sky. I put in my quarter, I pray my Our Fathers, I pray my Hail Marys, I turn the crank, and I get something. And then I walk away. And then once I get what I want, now that's done. Well, that was a great experience. I'm moving on to something new. God knows us. He knows we're weak. But he knows that if we ask him, if we're praying, then we start to change. Just like if I'm standing there pushing up against a wall, or if you can imagine the image of of Atlas who had to pull the boulder 
up a mountain for all eternity, right? You know, you can imagine Atlas pushing against this boulder, trying to push it up to the peak of the mountain. Well, if that's like what prayer is, then eventually we're going to start to develop spiritual muscles we didn't know we had. So even if I'm asking for something and God, in his will, chooses not to give it to me, it can still be to my benefit. God isn't limited in his action just according to the things that I'm asking him for. But also, it tells me that that's just a tiny extent of what prayer is. Notice that Jesus' prayer that he teaches to his disciples doesn't start with, God, give me this, or Lord, would you please do X. It starts with, our Father. It's a relational prayer. It's a prayer that puts us in context with a loving Father who created us and who wants us to be in friendship with Him. Our Father. That should blow us away. St. Teresa of Avila, one of the doctors of the church, said that when she prayed the Our Father, when she realized what that meant, she, could, she couldn't get past the word Our And what does that mean? It means that that God is so loving that he even makes himself possessible for us, tangible for us. He becomes ours, our father. Do you claim him as your father? Do you let him love you as his son or daughter? That is the most important thing about prayer. That's the most important reality that we can express or experience when we pray because that puts us in the proper relationship with God. And it might be weird to say, well, how am I supposed to experience friendship with God? He's the creator of the universe. I'm a sinful human being. Why does he even care about me? He cares about you because he is so good, because he is loving. And the only thing that gets in the way of you praying is you not praying. It's not God. He's not standing there ready to squash you like a bug. Well, I'm a sinner. I can't. No, you should. If you're a sinner, that's all the more reason for you to run to God. And all the more reason for him to love you and be willing to forgive you from your sins. Don't be afraid to pray. Don't make bad excuses not to pray. Prayer begins very simply by putting yourself in the presence of a loving father.